short nerd name. What are you guys' names? Xavier. Xavier and who? Caden and Xavier. And where are you from? You're from somewhere in the south? <laughs> <laughs> Paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. You know, you get paid the big bucks when you've been on TV almost six years and you forget to turn your microphone on. Hey, young man. Now listen, I'm here with two handsome young men. I have Caden, and he's 24. And I have Xavier, and he's 29. See, because he's taller. I want you to notice something, audience. Xavier and I have the same hairstylist. <laughs> so what are you guys about? <laughs> He's honest. Now, you boys, you love the Lord? Yeah. Yes. And you watch the show, too? Yeah, a lot. A lot. And what city do you live in? Bountiful. Bountiful. There's, that is a very good city. And what's your favorite food, Xavier? Chicken. Chicken! Alive or dead? <laughs> He's thinking. <laughs> and Caden, what's Pizza. your... Pizza. What kind? Chicken? <laughs> Pepperoni. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, my friends. Okay. All right? Bye-bye. All right, we're going to go over here. Listen, uh, oh, also that, it's not on. Uh, I want to uh, invite a very special guest up here with me right now. Some of you don't believe this guest exists, but uh, actually she does. This is my wife, my first wife, my only wife. Otherwise, please call him. This is Mary. She's the one who's put up with, uh, with uh, me for all these years, stuck with me thick and thin. And, uh, and uh, she's up here for a couple reasons. One, she's going to be a burning heart. But also, uh, we are looking at some houses. And uh, she's here to see if she gives her stamp of approval. And so uh, we're planning on making this our home. So uh, we'll, we'll no more flights, and when we move into, uh, into your town, uh, make sure you notify the bishop. So we have some missionary work to do. Anything you'd like to say, Maria? That's right, and we have cat calls from the audience. Maria. God never ceases to amaze me. Praise never. God. Love you, baby. All right, so thank you, Maria. We have a really exciting... Uh, a really exciting... Um, guests 
for you in a little while, so just bear with me. What's happening this weekend, Saturday, September 3rd, from 5 to 8 p.m., Murray Park Amphitheater. Subway will be furnishing boxed holy deliciousness. We'll be baptizing people who want to publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ at this event. Yes, it is Burning Heart, our sixth annual there at Murray Park. We want to see you all out there. If, you wanted to, uh, if you've wanted to commit your life to the Lord uh, through baptism, but not necessarily through a church affiliation at this point, come join us. Bring your bathing suit or whatever and a towel. And uh, one of the highlights of our Burning Heart revivals this year, like last year, is going to be live music. We're going to have The Stand, a local Christian band, and we're also going to have Adam's Road. I can't wait. So we're going to be talking about Adam's Road a little bit later. Had a great time at Alpine Christian Men's Conference, which I facilitated on Friday and Saturday of last week. If you live out in that area, I strongly suggest you check out one of the Alpine churches. They have one in Roy, in Logan, in Riverdale, in Layton. Good stuff. Just like all the good Christian churches out there that are in this state, we appreciate them and are grateful for what they do. Okay, how about a moment from the Word? No from the Word intro. All right, well, we left off last week in Matthew 21 in our kind of weekly loose comparisons of what it says in the Bible versus what the LDS teach. So let's go back to uh, chapter 21, and we're going to read out of some passages. Beginning at verse 33, Jesus is teaching and talking to the Jews, and he's teaching them a parable. Now, frequently, LDS people will say something like this. Our church is true because we have a living prophet, like unto Moses, who receives revelation from the Lord and passes it on to us. No other Christian church has a living prophet, so therefore our church is true. This claim is one of the true LDS distinctions that they use to show that they are the true church. So let's read this parable which Jesus uh, tells and see what insights it gives us regarding this topic. Jesus says, Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits thereof. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. Now, in this parable, Jesus teaches that over the course of history, prior to that, God had sent many people, prophets, to the children of Israel to foretell of his coming. He called them servants uh, in this parable, these prophets of the Old Testament, who came to garner the fruit of the vineyard for the vineyard's householder, who represents God, okay? We know that many prophets came to testify and gather fruit for God over the course of the Old Testament to uh, announce the coming of the Messiah. And here Jesus reminds the Pharisees and his audience that instead of receiving the prophets, these people beat them, tossed them out, and drove them away. So what does Jesus say God 
finally does. It's in verse 37. But last of all, last of all, so he had sent prophets, prophets, prophets. They were beaten and killed, beaten and killed. And last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, though reverence my son, which of course they didn't. Last of all, Jesus says, in other words, no more prophets to be sent after the son. Why would they come after his own son comes, atones for sin as prophesied, and then sends the Holy Spirit to fill us individually? Hebrews chapter uh, 1 verse uh, 3, 1 through 3, actually makes this perfectly clear. It says, God, who at different times and in different places spoke in times of old by our fathers, by the, to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us, by his son. When Jesus came, the word became flesh. He became the author and finisher of our faith. No prophets anymore. No veils, no rites, no days of the week. And when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came teaching us all things, ratifying what is in his written word, which we miraculously have in our possession today. For what reason would God now continue to have prophets around that the LDS say justify their existence? The Bible makes it clear, my friends. Never let men and their religion take this away from you and come between you and the living God. Last week, we had perhaps one of the most effective programs we have ever had based on the email responses. Bishop Earl, as we've come to call him, made a tremendous, and what I believe, a lasting impression through an articulate, kind, genuine assessment of Mormonism, his dedication and love to it, and his departure from it. It's interesting, but without fail, after every program, there's a core group of emailers who are LDS who write us, and they write us that night, or they write us the next morning, hey, Sean, you fumbled when you said this word. Hey, Sean, you're gaining weight. Hey, Sean, you need a haircut. Hey, Sean, how come you talk about this, but you don't talk about that? Constantly, the same core group of these guys are always emailing us, and guess what? It's miraculous. After Bishop Earl last week, not one of them, not one of them wrote to say anything. It's really interesting. What could they say? We had a man who was diligent in his LDS duties. I tried to be. He was faithful in his tithes. He, he raised his children all the way up in Mormonism. He served on high local callings without fail. Was it sin that brought him out? No. Rebellion? Hatred for the church? A lacking of church responsibility that made him bitter? No, no, no. Did he wear his G's? Yes, yes, yes. It was none of the above. It was what brought this intelligent, kind man out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship with Jesus was, in spite of the pain and trials and disaffection lying ahead of him, he refused to live a lie. He refused to live a lie, to endorse deception, to personally benefit any longer from membership that rewards conformity and silence and rejects people who speak the truth. We salute Bishop Earl and everyone like him. There's been predecessors before. Sandra Tanner, she just comes to my mind for some reason, who way ahead of all of us with her husband came out and did so much and wasn't a sinful wild man like me, was just like Bishop Earl, but said the truth is not here. 
for no apparent gain. There is no gain, just suffering. So with every great success, however, there always comes some idiot who gets in there and messes things up. And last week, that idiot was me. Uh, caught up in the fervor of Bishop uh, Earl's inspired speech, I was excited to show our viewers that in Christ all things are lawful. That there is freedom in him because of so many people I meet who are in bondage. In my attempt, I said some things I did not mean, which I am now retracting and seeking forgiveness. I'm a man who is really, really, truly at ease with my relationship and faith in God. As such, I sometimes infer that certain liberties are okay in the lives of true believers. Last week, I said something to the effect that I personally felt like treating myself, amongst the fervor of seeing Bishop Earl, to a giant beer or a big fatty, which is vernacular for a marijuana cigarette, for those of you who didn't know. Again, I did this both to help polarize the positions that uh, Bishop Earl and myself represented physically as being so diametrically opposed and to bring them under one roof and say, look how different this person could be, look how different this person is, but all are under the umbrella of having been saved by Christ. Unfortunately, it sounded like I was promoting what they call antinomian, antinomianism, which is a big word for lawlessness. Um, I was not at all. And I apologize for that. I do personally despise drugs. I lost a brother to drug use. Uh, I do not smoke pot or use other illegal stuff. And nor do I think pot smoking is, is an activity that ever helps people, ever. So in fact, I've only seen it do harm to people I love. And to intimate that I endorse pot smoking in here through my comments was wrong. Apologies. Uh, we always try to emphasize that everybody is free in Christ. Whether you're an alcoholic or a pot smoker or caught up in sin, and this, yes, come to Christ as you are. But the message to believers who have come to know him and are living in him, no. There is not licentiousness. There's liberty. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient, and that should have come out. Okay, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we need you, obviously in different ways and in different areas. We pray that your Holy Spirit will pour down upon our viewers, wherever they may be. We pray that you'll help us to uh, articulate what you want to be said. Those people who are participating in the program will do what you want them to do. Our volunteers, our technical issues, which we're having now, will be flattened out and we'll be able to move on in your way and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been analyzing what the LDS called Joseph Smith's first vision. Two weeks ago, we showed how history points to the fact that there was no first vision at all. Bishop Earl's findings expressed last week endorse this position fully. Remember, the first church-sanctioned version of the first vision was published in the Mormon publication called The Times and Seasons in 1842, 22 years after Joseph Smith claimed that it first occurred. In this official version, Joseph Smith said that, quote, all the sects united to persecute me, end quote. But we pointed out last week that there's no, or two weeks ago, that there's no record anywhere of such a persecution. None. No personal journals about a 14, 15, 16, or 17-year-old boy claiming he saw God the Father. No biography or autobiography mentions a first vision. And while the town and people and papers were all over the story of a 17-year-old saying an angel told him about some buried gold plates, 
No newspaper clippings or articles or notes from pastor's sermons and any, said anything about this 14 or 15 or 16-year-old boy uh, having a first vision of God the Father in a body of flesh and bones. Listen, not even a private record from Joseph Smith himself uh, made such a claim until a decade later. Even the very first officially published Mormon history written by Oliver Cowdery and collaborated on by Joseph Smith ignored the event altogether. They were asked to write something about the church history and it didn't even say anything about a first vision. Uh, listen, friends, nobody in Mormonism really knew about it until well after 1838, 18 years after it supposedly had happened. So let's cover one more issue relative to the deception of the first vision, and then we'll go to the phones and to emails that have been stacking up. In a court of law, one of the most reliable ways to tell if a person's testimony is trustworthy is by the consistency of their story. You will often hear detectives and police say things like, well, we got suspicious when our suspects started to change the details of his story. Parents learn that something fishy is up when kids start to change their story, and we all know from firsthand experience that in order to be believed, you better keep your story straight. Relative to the first vision, it's important to hear the official version of the first vision as told by the church today. This is what missionaries teach all around the world as truth. You can read it in full in the LDS scripture called the Pearl of Great Price under the heading jo History of Joseph Smith. There, the official version of the first vision mentions the following as facts. Okay, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here. In 1820, Joseph Smith was a 14-year-old boy. There was a lot of revival activity in and around his home. He went to the woods to ask God which church to join and two separate and distinct personages in bodies of flesh and bone as tangible as man's appeared above him in the air. This all occurred in Manchester, New York, where he was supposedly living with his parents. You got those basics? Now, let's look at the basics of this official story and work our way through them, testing and comparing the claims to the evidences we now possess. Okay? That's the official version still told today. Joseph Smith's dating of 1820, the year he would have been a 14-year-old boy. I'm going to give you a machine gunning of facts to blow this claim away. First, microfilm records of road repairs prove that Smith could not have lived in the area described by Joseph until after April of 1822, when Joseph was at least 16 years old, not 14. The age they use today is a lie. Property assessment records show that a cabin was built on land that, the Smith, de that Smith describes between 1822 and 1823 when Joseph was between 16 and 17. So the official place of residence uh, is a lie. The only rec recorded and recognized revivals in the area based on the newspapers and church conversion records were in 1824 and 1825 when Joseph would have been 17 years old, not 14. So the claim of there being revivals in 1820 was a lie. Joseph's brother William, one of the original 12 apostles of the church, said that the revival of the area was led by one Reverend Lane in 1823, again, when Joseph would have been 17, not 14. Additionally, church records of the Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians show a marked increase in memberships 
1824, when Joseph was 17 or 18, and nothing but a dearth of growth in the year of 1820, when he was 14 years old. Now, in this official and present-day account, Joseph said that the revivals took place two years after they moved to the Manchester area, which would have made uh, the year 1824 to 1825, and Joseph would again been a minimum of 18 or 19 years of age, not 14. Based on Joseph Smith's age claims versus the substantiated evidence, the story uh, fails the test of authenticity with regard to his age. Nothing happened in 1820 when he was 14. He was uh, even, he wasn't even probably living in that specific area at that time. The only claims which Joseph Smith um, said that coincide with historical documents is that he did have a visit from an angel uh, telling him about gold plates and that was in 1823. 1822, 1821, 1820, nothing at all. Now, even if there had been a first vision, Joseph could not have been 14 years old um, according to the official account. He had to have been at least 16 and there, probably more like 17 when, based on all the historical facts, any such vision could have possibly occurred. Now, this becomes very important because when Joseph was 17 years of age, uh, the year would have been 1823. And there are all sorts of documented supports that, the 1820, that in 1823, an angel with news of golden plates arrived on the scene. Even the LDS church officially claims the angel Moroni visited Joseph and told him about the golden plates in that year. So when reading early Mormon, Mormon history, it starts to make sense that many early LDS leaders recorded that Mormonism really began in 1823. Forget all the years before and what they say now. They do that in order to perpetrate this lie of a first vision upon you. Like I said two weeks ago, Joseph Smith started out fooling people by looking at a rock in a hat. He was a con man, and then he progressed on, and he needed money to pr uh, print the Book of Mormon. So the Book of Mormon became sacred scripture with a spiritual bent, so Martin Harris would, would uh, print it for him. And then Joseph slowly became known as a seer and a prophet, and then the con continued. Years ago, I talked with uh, Sandra Tanner, a lady who I've somehow reminded of tonight, and Sandra said he was a con from the beginning. I said, oh, no, 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 Sandra. He had good intentions. He was a Christian man to start, and he just fell away. I do not believe that at all now. I've, I've come around to see, based on everything, that he was a con, and he saw that his cons could be believed in the religious area, and the con just continued on and on. However, just for continuity's sake, Let's stay on the task relative to Joseph Smith's first vision claims. In doing so, we come to the real clincher. You ready? Most of the early church, especially its leaders, believed that the first vision of Joseph Smith was when Moroni came to pay him a visit. Uh, they either thought, and based on evidence, they thought correctly that there was no first vision of God the Father and Jesus Christ, or they believed sincerely that his first vision was just an angel who came and related in 1823 where there were plates. Whatever they believed, it is in total conflict with what the, what the present day LDS official version says. Don't believe me? Listen. In 1845, Joseph Smith's own mother, Lucy Max Smith, started to innocently write her own biography. 
in her preliminary draft, she made no mention of Joseph ever having a first vision of God and Jesus Christ. None. Wouldn't that be the place a mother would start if she's going to write the biography? Wouldn't it normally be there? No, she doesn't even mention it. She does, however, recount that in the third harvest, quote, that was the year 1823, the Smith family were having discussions about all the contentions of the various churches and that Joseph, later that evening, had, quote, an angel appear to him and say, quote, I perceive that you are inquiring in your mind which church is true. There is not a true church on earth, end quote. So no first vision, 1820, 1823, Joseph, they're having a family discussion about which church is true. He goes up and he comes back and says, an angel told me none of the churches are true. An angel, okay? When Lucy Mack Smith's biography was finally published, she personally said nothing about her son's claims to a first vision, but she did insert Joseph's own account, which was uh, fostered up later on, into the uh, text, but she said nothing about it. Von Brody, who wrote the book No Man Knows My History, said, quote, if something happened that spring morning in 1820, it passed totally unnoticed in Joseph's hometown and apparently did not fix itself in the minds of members of his own family. I'm not done. George Albert Smith, LDS prophet long deceased, said in November of 1863 in the Journal of Discourses, when Joseph Smith was about 14 or 15 years old, he went humbly before the Lord and inquired of him, and the Lord answered his prayer and revealed to Joseph, by the ministration of angels, the true condition of the religious world. When the holy angel appeared, Joseph inquired as to which of all these denominations was right and which to join, and he was told they were all wrong. As mentioned in 1834, Oliver Cowdery, who was ascribed to Joseph Smith, published the first Mormon history in the LDS paper Messenger and Advocate in Kirtland, Ohio. He began Smith's story in 1823 too, not 1820, with the boy in his bedroom being visited by the angel Moroni, not God the Father, and Jesus Christ. Cowdery states that Joseph, at the time of religious excitement, prayed to know, quote, if a supreme being did exist to have an assurance that he was accepted of him. This is Cowdery, who was being assisted by Joseph Smith to write the first official church history. That's what he wrote about how it all started in 1823. He went on to write that Joseph's prayer was answered on September 21st, night of the autumn equinox, of 1823, when a messenger appeared to him in his bedroom, quote, to deliver a special message and to witness to him that his sins were forgiven and that his prayers were heard. Nothing uh, about uh, father, son, or any of that. This is an absolute contradiction to the revisionist story Joseph concocted years later when he said, I saw God the Father uh, standing above me in the air in the brightness of the sun, and next to him was his son, and they were in bodies as tangible as man's. Nothing of the sort. It's a total myth, in my opinion. Total fabrication and myth. One another, LDS apostle George Albert Smith in 1869, Journal of Discourses, said of the first vision, quote, he, meaning Joseph Smith, sought the Lord by day and by night and was enlightened by a vision of a holy angel. When this personage appeared to him of his first inquiry, which of the denominations of Christianity in the vicinity was right? It's the first vision story Mormons say today and apply it to God the Father and Joseph Smith is a 14-year-old boy. But all the way up until the 1860s, 1870s, the early church leaders all believed the first vision was this angel Moroni. 
1869, Orson Pratt said, quote, by and by an obscure individual, a young man rose up and in the midst of all Christendom proclaimed the startling news that God had sent him an angel, an angel to him. And four years afterwards was visited by a holy angel again. One more, LDS Apostle John Taylor, speaking in 1879, that's how many years later, identifies the personages of the first vision as an angel too. Jo quote, Joseph asked the angel which of the sects was right. The angel merely told him to join none of them. By the way, and we'll cover this later, Joseph did join a church after the supposed first vision which totally discounts the story they tell because it says Joseph didn't believe what happened and he went and joined a church anyway. The actual records are there of him joining a church. So we have holes throughout this whole thing they call the uh, hinge pin upon which the religion turns. Uh, the missionaries of the world probably unwittingly have been taught a lie and they perpetuate the lie. And if the, this lie about the foundation of the church is told, what else are they lying to you about? You gotta be upset about the facts. You have to be bothered by this. If you're not, you are just wanting to cling to your little life raft called Mormonism. You're afraid to let it go. And you know, other people have let it go. Other people have said, I'll let it go because I want truth. I want the Lord. You're clinging to it thinking that somehow there's valor in that. There's not. There's just cowardice. So, you know, look at the facts. Go to God. Say, help me see. Help me here. And he'll do it. Um, next week, we're going to conclude our examination of the first vision by reading all the accounts that Joseph Smith provided. This ought to serve as a final nail in the first vision coffin, at least for those of you who want to know and to live the truth. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And uh, we're going to go uh, to a spot and come back for a very special moment in Heart of the Matter. Ladies and gentlemen, most of Adam's Rose. Very good. <laughs> we had a little technical difficulty. Uh, they, they, they performed something. We had it in the can, ready to go, and we had an audio difficulty. Par for the course in this biz. 
So they're going to do a number for you right now, and then we'll come back, open up the phone lines. I tried to convince them to let me practice my miming of the first vision or some interpretive dance using the, the testimony glove, but uh, Joseph said no way. He said no. So, ladies and gentlemen, Adams Road. <laughs>
live to sound that good so you know these guys have talent. You gotta move in like you love each other. You know in the process of that, if you haven't caught on yet, the, the uh, legendary uh, pioneer uh, Sandra Tanner is here in the audience to see these young men sing and I asked her to dance and she said absolutely not. I do not like you at all young man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was tempted to kind of come across the camera with her but I thought she might have said no way. Hey, how you guys been? Good. Good. Excellent. Yeah, really Excellent. Good. Uh, glad you're back in town and uh, sharing the word. Let's hear from you, Micah. What's going on with you guys? Well, uh, just uh, ministering the word, I guess. You know, yeah. Just continuing to share the gospel of grace. And uh, we should have a, a DVD that just came out. You can hold it up, or I can hold it up. You hold that up? <laughs> we can hold it up together. Um, Joseph, but it's called it. Unveiling Grace, you know, <laughs> and it's just. It. Um, you know, it's just us sharing, you know, the gospel of grace that we came to know through the New Testament and just trying to reach out to Mormons and, you know, anybody who, who is stuck in a religious system or lawful system, you know, that's teaching them that they have to work for their salvation. And, um, you know, we just praise God for what He did in our lives and, and hope that, you know, our testimonies can influence others. Man, what are you doing? He, he's Joseph. I've learned some things about Joseph today. We'll share he's later. A clown. He, he really is. Yep. No, but he's a good one. Hey, so uh, you're going to be touring around. At the end of the show, we're going to put up a graphic, hopefully, that's going to show everywhere you're going to be through the state. Yep. If we, we've had some problems tonight. If we don't get up tonight, we will show it so that people can know where to go to hear you. It's amazing the testimony these guys bring through song and spoken word. Go listen to them wherever they are, whatever church they're at in your area. Come to Burning Heart this Saturday. You can hear them there. They're going to be doing their whole thing. And it's a great witness. Uh, young men on missions. Started with Micah, I believe. And uh, just had the boldness to say, no way, this isn't true. And uh, their testimony then kind of permeates down into who Jesus is uh, relative to uh, Mormonism. Listen, we have a, someone here who's saying, Glenn Beck is on TBN tomorrow for two hours. TBN! Glenn Beck! Now, at dinner tonight, I talked to Joseph, and Joseph said that they travel all over the place. They got this huge, beautiful bus. And they go to all the states and they sing. And, and he says he's learned something, what many Christians think because of Glenn Beck. Share that with us. Well, I was just saying that, uh, you know, we run into a lot of opposition um, when uh, talking about Glenn Beck because uh, what happens is they, they think that he's Christian because, I mean, he had that huge revival up in Israel, I think, just not too long ago. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a deception because because of what he's based out of and how he talks about the temple and there's no way that he can be a Christian and yet he's deceiving all those Christians yeah. into thinking that. And so they're coming up to these guys and Glenn Beck, he's LDS, I mean he does so much good, they gotta be Christian and they're having to explain that, you know, in different times. It's really a problem because this is happening more and more as they try to steep themselves into American culture and to be seen as true Christians. Uh, 
There's a question here off air. Do you think Joseph Smith had knowledge of the Bible? Yes, absolutely had knowledge of the Bible. I think he was steeped in the Bible. I think he had, if not a photographic memory, close to it. I think he could take concepts like mad and just incorporate them, and he did. He borrowed from the Bible heavily in the Book of Mormon, as we'll get to that later on. Blake from Ogden, Utah, first-time caller. Blake, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Blake. You're on the air. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you? you I'm good. So what's happening? Uh, well, I was just I was just watching your show and I was thinking that uh, there really is no more modern day prophets because in a way we all kind of are prophets because the spirit is with everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you need prophecy for if the Holy Spirit came and lives within us by virtue of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Right. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing, but yet they, they think it adds like bonus points that they have a man they call a prophet like unto Moses who really doesn't prophesy anything. He, I mean, except don't have more than one earring piercing, I think. And, and if you get a tattoo, it's got to be a Hinkley. Uh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And it's got to be on the hip. Just kidding. Uh, no, but I mean, what are they prophesying? It's a big, uh, big con. Okay. Uh, we're getting some questions off air. We're going to go to some emails. And if anything comes on your mind, you guys bring it up. Adams Road. Recently, I had an email conversation with an LDS man uh, named Aaron. He wrote me about what we eat. And I think he was trying to suggest, or not I, I think, he was strongly suggesting that what we put in our body determines our level of spirituality. Uh, I couldn't help but feel a personal message in there as he, he was LDS and trying to get to me, but maybe not. Uh, but I disagreed uh, with the point, and he became very dogmatic. And the problem with eating and drinking uh, rules is multifold in the, uh, when it starts to come out. Now, so I borrowed my wife's Bible because it really explains this better than mine in terms. And if you turn to Colossians... And just Colossians chapter 2, it says, So why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't eat, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that are gone as soon as we use them. These rules may seem wise because... <laughs> oh, didn't I not hang up from you? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> Just keep listening. I'm reading. <laughs> hey, we're gonna let, we're gonna let you go to open up the line. But thanks for your comment. Um, <laughs> Lord, cast the devil out of this place. Uh, such rules are mere human teachings about things that are gone as soon as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, humility, and severe bodily discipline but they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. So Aaron wanted to say, listen, every, he literally said, every time I eat a whole wheat sandwich with tuna, I feel so much better, but if I have a burger, I feel the Holy Spirit leave me. And I said, dude, you're just feeling sick because a burger's not as good for you. <laughs> you know, so don't tie those feelings into each other, and the Bible there confirms it. Can I, can I add to that? Shirt? Add to it. I just want to confirm you know, another scripture at Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 15 says, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. 
this defiles a person. Then it goes on to say, uh, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Amen. So Jesus said it straight right there. Okay, listen, we have Stacy in Salt Lake City, and she has a question for Adams Road. She is on line one. Stacy, go ahead. And no, they're all married. No. <laughs> Stacy, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, I just wanted to say the, the Adams Road band that's there, those boys are so wonderful. And I've seen them before on the other show. And um, they were so nice. They had I had written them, uh, emailed them, because I actually... Um, have been saved in 2007, but I actually have a son who's on an LDS mission, and I, uh, they, I asked them how I, I was just so upset about it that I was worried that he was teaching false doctrine and just just so upset. And they wrote me back the nicest email and helped me and told me where to look, at, you know, in the Bible and to try and minister to him a little bit. And I just, I just wanted to thank them personally, and thank you, Sean, for all you do. God bless you, and I, I love your show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stacy. Thanks for calling. Thanks, God. God bless you. These guys have a great ministry. They're, they're based out in Florida, but they travel all over, and we'll give contact information. And if not tonight at the end of the show, next week and the following weeks, we'll let you know where they're going to be because you really want to take an LDS friend, gather your Christian friends, and come hear them. Their, uh, their music and their message is phenomenal. Before we go to Joe in West Valley, who's a first-time caller and LDS, we have a question. Why don't you dress appropriately for God? Yeah, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> uh, I don't know what appropriately for God is, you know. Uh, when it, I'm not going to even touch it. Okay, Joe in West Valley, uh, you're LDS and you're on Heart of the Matter, Joe. Okay. Yeah, turn down your TV, though. You got to turn, turn your TV down, Joe. I can hear it. Okay. okay. Turn it down. I can still hear it. Okay. All right, you're on the air. Hello? You're on the air. Yes. Um... I just want to make a, a request, please. Uh, well, uh, before I do that, I want to say I enjoy your your um, your 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 show, and I'm learning some uh, new things. But uh, regarding the bishop that uh, was on the show last week, yeah, I, I wonder if I, I I would like very much to get copies of his uh, presentation because. There's a few things there that really, uh, you know, um, broke my mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that is possible. Absolutely. A couple things, Joe. First of all, uh, you can rewatch the show at HOTM.TV if you're technically savvy. We are going to put a written copy of his comments on HOTM.TV so you can read it and copy it. And we are also going to make available his 17-minute speech at Burning Heart this Saturday afternoon from 5 to 8 at Murray Amphitheater. So if you want to come there, we'll give you one. If after that, we'll mail you one if you contact us. Yeah. What time is that again and where? It's, it's 5 to 8 at Murray Park Amphitheater on Saturday, September 3rd. Uh, Whereabout where is that exactly? Well, to let you know, it's uh, at 495 East, 5300 South. And uh, you cross State Street, 
and about a half mile turn left onto 495 East, there's a parking lot and go straight ahead. Okay, okay, I, 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 I plan to be there. Okay, you come join us. You'll find us. There'll be, a, there'll be quite a crowd, and we'll look forward to meeting you, Joe. And, and uh, we'll pass on your message to Earl. Okay, appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We have Tracy and Char who have a question for Adams Road. How come all the girls call when you guys are on? I, I just want to know that. I mean, they never call when I'm on except to yell at me. Go ahead. Tracy, Char, you're on the air. Hi, I love Adams Road, and I'm going to be following you around again. And this is Charlotte, and you all know me. Um, I followed you to Cedar City. Okay, I love you. Okay, bye. bye. All right. <laughs> that is awesome. They see me and they run, but they run after Adams Road. It's beautiful. Uh, this says, how can the LDS have tax-exempt status when you have to pay 10% to go to the temple? I don't know the tax rules. Anybody have an idea? They're a church, but the, the, the point is they have to pay 10%. Does that make it mandatory payment? So therefore, how can they keep tax-exempt status? Any idea, anybody? No, we're, we're at a loss. The greatest minds here. We're all at a loss. All right, caller wants you to reiterate that grooming, the grooming that Joseph Smith received from his parents. You know, we've done a lot of shows in this to, to show what his parents and the effect they had on his life. And, and it almost goes without saying if you've been watching the show. So you might be a new viewer, but if you go back and watch, you'll see how much influence they had on his life. Okay, listen, got an email here, and it says, uh, while waiting for a play to start, uh, I noticed that half the audience out in Cedar City at the Shakespeare Festival suddenly rose to their feet and stood silently at their seats. My friend looked around and noticed LDS Church President Thomas Monson, his wife, daughter, and a large security detail had entered the building and were moving to their chairs near the front. This, simply, this simple event speaks volumes about the LDS faith. Man is exalted, while Jesus is rarely mentioned in their meetings. Prophets, seers, and revelators are honored, glorified, and idolized, but are never seen as sinful men like the rest of us. Yet in a belief system where doing stuff can make you a god, most members blindly believe that since these men have done more stuff than most, their godhood must be assured. As Christians who have been LDS, most of you, what do you guys think about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would just say, you know, I, I saw the same thing when I was at uh, Brigham Young University when I was going to school there. We had general authorities that would come and visit and, you know, without fail, uh, if it was someone who was high up enough, like an apostle, um, everyone in the room would stand. And, you know, being a good LDS person at the time, I didn't see anything wrong with that because I respected them as a person of God. But having been out of that religion now and looking at it retrospectively, um, the only person that deserves honor is Jesus. Not, not any of us up here, not any great uh, Christian pastor or leader or televangelist. No one deserves honor and praise but Jesus alone. Yeah. So. Amen. 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 Yeah. You guys agree? Yeah. They all agree. Yeah. You know, what would Peter do if people stood when he walked in a room? You know what he would do. He would say, sit down immediately, please. You know, I am just a man, just like uh, Paul and Barnabas said in Acts uh, 14. Sit down. Get away. We are merely men like you of similar passions, he said. So, okay, Tim and Layton, he is a first-time caller, and he's a jackmo, it says. A jackmo. <laughs> like a jackalope. <laughs> Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi. How you doing, brother? Doing well. How are you? 
Ray, I love your show. I love your show. Thanks, man. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a question about, uh, you know, marriage. Uh, in First Corinthians, Paul talks about not being uh, married. If you can be like me, not be married to nobody. That's, um, you know, that would be, uh, you know, the way God wants it. Um, but, um, you know, I was wondering, uh, in the resurrection, uh, Jesus specifically said that we're not married to nobody in the resurrection. And that's when Satan's bound. So, you know, I wanted to know your opinion on marriage in this life. You know, you know uh, Jesus said uh, marriage is, uh, he really set up for the children of this world. But you got to understand, marriage is ordained of God. He, I mean, we, none of us would be here if it wasn't for people getting married and having children. And God knows that we have natural desires and we want to be loved and we want to have companionship and uh, we want to have sex and we want to do these things. And so he created an order for it and he ordained it. And he loves marriage. He's for marriage completely. But what Paul was saying is, listen, if, if, you, if you don't have to burn, I mean, if you don't have to, you know, do all the things that married people are into, stay single and you can, you can devote your whole life to serving the Lord. If that's okay, he was saying in the Christian faith. But marriage is ordained of God. As far as it being in the eternities hereafter, uh, Jesus said we're not given in marriage. You know, it just doesn't happen. Thoughts from Adam's Road. Um, I was just going to add yeah, to that. So, yeah, so in the resurrection, we're not married to nobody. So what, uh, what about sex? I guess you can just have it without being married to nobody. <laughs> Are you related to Joseph Smith? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, we no, have no, 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 listen. We're going to have them in the resurrection, right? We don't know what we're going to have when you refer to um, but uh, <laughs> just look at Jesus said we're not married or given in marriage. What will happen with our bodies in terms of our glory that we'll have, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about? We're not sure. Uh, that's, it's interesting, you know. God gives us very little in Scripture, that whole volume of Scripture, about what we're going to do after this life. You know why? He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to trust Him and we'll die. And we know it's going to be a wonderful, beautiful, great thing. If you're really interested in the sex element of it, I'm sure whatever God has for it is going to surpass that. You know, so let's go with that. Trust God. Move forward, all right? Okay, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. See ya. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Did you have a comment on that? Yeah, I was just going to add to that. You know, something I wasn't aware of when I was LDS was that Jesus said basically the same thing when his, uh, his apostles were asking about uh, divorce and what the rules were for divorce. And, you know, what he responded with, they said, Lord, this is a hard teaching. You know, who, you know why should man get married at all? And he basically mm -hmm. said, not everyone can accept this saying, but there's some who are eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake. And, yeah. and again, the same kind of principle that they can serve God more fully because they're not distracted by the things of this world. So Amen. it's not just something that Paul taught either. So. Right. And a great point. You know, there is liberty in Christ. You don't want to be married, you don't be married. You want to be married, you be... It's, there is so much liberty. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and having him as our master. Because he is yoke as easy as burden is light. We're going to Chantel in Salt Lake City. Another woman calling here on Heart of the Matter. Chantel, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. This is Chantel. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your show. Your show was one of the first things I watched when I was working on coming out of the church. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. Because when you can finally get Joseph Smith out of the way and see God's truth for what it is, God sets you free. And I just wanted to say that. Thank Praise you God. very much. Oh, you're welcome, Chantel. You're welcome. Any comment or question tonight? 
Um, I just I just wanted to tell you to keep going because Joseph Smith is where you have to start. Once you can dig into that and find out that it's completely and utterly false, God will open your eyes and your heart in a way that is unspeakable. All right. Thank you so much, Chantel. Thank you. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. We have a question from Adam. What are your feelings towards science versus religion? Do you think they could ever coexist? Uh, my opinion is I think our grasp of science is constantly shifting, and uh, so is our grasp of faith. So the two, in the end, will mutually meld into God's total knowledge. I don't have a problem with either of them existing. They both have a place in the material world, and I believe that all answers will be revealed at some point in time. Science and religion. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, they're, they're just full of information tonight. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. The Bible says, you know, that the wisdom of man is foolishness yeah. to God. So, yeah. you know, whatever man creates or, or believes to be truth, you can't discern spiritual truths with, with things of the flesh. And so uh, I disagree. You know, in the end, all qu answers will be questioned, you know, spiritually. Yeah, actually, um, I read this scripture last year. And, um, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, uh, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them um, because they are spiritually discerned. And as long as we try to... Um, discern the natural world with our, you know, or the spiritual world with our natural mind will always be lost. Nevertheless, you do agree that if you get an infection that requires antibiotics, you'll go and use science to, cl to clear it up? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So we're not saying no science. We're just saying we don't, we don't understand that spiritual minds are never going to grasp it even. Only God's going to tell us everything. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. They agree. Amen. All right. Anything else? I got all kinds of emails, so just keep going. Uh, what's that caller say? <laughs> God, this is probably. <laughs> oh, we have eight pages of graphics for your shows. So we can't show you their shows tonight. We'll give you a summary of their uh, shows. Yes, we can. Do it. You got 40 <laughs> seconds. One. Awesome. We'll keep showing that throughout the week. Listen, only five seconds. You haven't said one word, Matt. Say something. <laughs> Praise be to God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Awesome. <laughs> hey, we'll see you Saturday nice. afternoon, 5 to 8, Murray Park Amphitheater. God bless you. <laughs> There's something about when we get this like everything. I'm going to break. I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my